So hey everybody, welcome to episode 278 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? We have Mark Rubin on the line from San Jose, California. Hello. So what did you do last week, Jaime, when you missed us? Last week, uh, oh, that's right, I was in uh, Springfield, Missouri for a work trip. Mm. Springfield? Oh, Springfield. really? Yeah, I got an office out there that was pretty convenient for a lot of folks to meet at, um, considering a fair number of the attendees were in that area. Yeah. Um, mm. Got to try the... Uh, Famous Springfield style cashew chicken. Oh, yeah. Is hmm. Their take on a, on a Chinese dish. Hmm. Supposedly that ori- uh, originated from there. Uh, Sorry, which state is this in? Because there's like 13 Springfields in the United States. Missouri. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. What's it like down there? I guess, well, I guess you're, you're from the South. So is it very similar? They're in the Midwest, although it definitely does feel more Southern in terms of yeah. sort of style and setting. Must where um, Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer are from that area, right? Pretty close because Mississippi's not too far away. Oh, they're from Mississippi. I think it's Mississippi. That's a state? Oh, okay. Oh, Missouri, yes. Missouri's a state too, right? Missouri's a state as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, so is Mark Twain from Mississippi? Mark Twain's from San Francisco. Oh, but he wrote about uh, the Mississippi River, right? Where, yep. Where, Mississippi where River's Tom, pretty long. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. But where does, where does Tom Sawyer take place? I think it actually could be Missouri. Really? Okay. So yeah. Or Kansas. Yeah, that's the Missouri River is the, or Mississippi River is the, uh, the border between Kansas and Missouri. Might be the Missouri River. I don't know. Oh, it might I just see. be okay. some random river. Might have nothing to do with Mississippi. Right, but Mississippi's a state, though, too, right? Yes, it is. Just to confuse the rest of us in the world. It is a state and a river. Right, it's just like two Washingtons, two Portlands. You say that, and there is a York. And granted, we had the the nicety to call ours new to differentiate it from from other York. And you also have, you know, a London, which makes... Well, no, actually, do you know what original name for Toronto is? No idea. York. Duh. <laughs> Wait, so you have a, a, a York. We're York, and that's province, why New York had province. to be New York. Huh? Whatever whatever the six is, the, the area codes, the, the province. The, four, yeah. the, the six, the 416 Burrows. was originally called York. Yeah. Mm. Back in back in the, back in the Stone Age days, yes. Or early early white man days of, of, you know, the 1600s or whatever. I don't think that's the reason New York is New York, though, Tim. I hate to tell you. No? <laughs> no. It was, was, originally it was called, called New Amsterdam, though. Originally it was originally New, New Amsterdam, yeah. Yeah. When it was a Dutch colony. Right. And then the British took over the colony they yeah. changed the name and named it after the duke of york okay but they kept the new because it sounded more like the current name of the city yeah so you know the people at home are, are trying to figure out what the hell this has to do with cashew chicken mm-hmm. well you know what maybe maybe tom sorry did have it i'm looking up here the fictional <laughs> town of st petersburg missouri oh uh, he has an aunt or aunt sally phelps oh. who lives very much further down the mississippi referring to the river in this case mm. okay. Oh, okay all right so what so what you were telling us about missouri we or sorry about um yeah missouri we were, you were telling us about that springfield Springfield got uh, it's very suburban, um, so mm-hmm. you definitely have to drive to places. They have a ton of really really nice craft beer locations, so that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, surprisingly, not known for barbecue, considering its proximity. You know, at least in, in my mind, like you know, I growing up in Texas, like I have a very different opinion on the size of states. So to me, mm-hmm. Kansas City seems not that far away, even though I'm sure it's probably a couple hundred miles away. Mm-hmm. But I, so I assumed that, uh, or or even like pick St. Louis, right? Same thing. Uh, 
thought they'd be uh, good at barbecue, but nope, the Chinese food, the cashew chicken was sort of their their uh, their thing. Hmm. That was cool. I learned. Yeah. Was it good and spicy and stuff, or what? What's the no, deal? It was very, it's very different. It's very uh, cultivated for Midwest taste. So it's essentially fried chicken, like the kind you'd get, you know, KFC or Church's chicken Popeyes, Popeyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you put the uh, the sauce on top. That's almost like gravy in terms of texture uh-huh. profile. And you've got some cashews and some rice. Oh, like the actual chunky cashew. And what's the gra- what's the gravy like though? Is it like beef gravy or? It's it's. Uh, I actually don't chicken know gravy? what goes into cashew chicken normally, but you know, right. MSG presumably is what. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a main ingredient. I'm not really sure. Um, yeah. Really ties it together. Yeah. 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 And the <laughs> dish I had had you know fried wontons and uh, egg roll. Mm. And they're apparently uh, I did not get a chance to try this, but somebody sent this to me afterwards that there is a lot of innovation in the cashew nut. Sorry, the uh, cashew chicken area where there is apparently a taco truck over there that has tacos it sells where the shell is made of wonton you have the chicken the cashew chicken in there is the filling and a different place it has decided to make the container uh, a wonton but in the shape of a waffle cone oh okay so a lot of innovation there there's I a guess. billion billion people in China right now just kind of twitching when you when you say this stuff. <laughs> well, it's not Chinese food. It's just we just attribute no. that, right? Yeah, they just laugh at us. Yes, it's it's, it's uh, Chinese food as sort of produced for folks who were living in the U.S. and had to sell to U.S. tastes, mm-hmm. particularly of that era. All right. Uh, so the other question we have for you is: Did you listen to last week's episode? I did. I didn't get all the way through it. I think <sighs> I have maybe twenty minutes, thirty minutes left. Okay. All right. Yeah, because I think there were some questions in there for you oh i heard one of them that i don't know the answer to it i have to google it and that's i don't you, think you can use the switch <laughs> pro right that was the question oh the pro i hadn't thought about that i was thinking the switch pro joy uh, pro joystick with the with the uh apple tv mm-hmm. interesting i was thinking of the the joy cons i was like well no the joy cons aren't going to work um but the pro is probably sure the joy cons are the things on the side that come with yes the the motion control style ones that also split apart yeah but they're, they're not um, they're like they're proprietary. They're they're they, do you, can you pair them with a different switch or whatever? Or? Probably with a different switch, but I'm not aware of being able to pair them with other devices the way that you can, the Xbox and PlayStation 4 controllers. Right, right. All right. right, I guess we'll accept that as an answer, eh, Mark? Yep. (laughs) Anywho, all right. So starting off, we had, uh, we talked about Margaret Hamilton, the the awesome computer programmer and software hardware developer who worked on the Apollo missions and and wrote much much of the code that uh, took man to the moon. But turns out it's sort of a funny name because Margaret Hamilton, Hamilton is also the name of the actress who played the wicked, most famously, the Wicked Witch of the West in The Wizard of Oz. So she was a what do you call those? Uh, uh, an actor who was signed to a studio, a studio actor, I guess, uh, actress. And so she was in a number of films back then. But she's most no, most notably known for the her role as the Wicked Witch of the West. Are you sure they're not the same person? They are not the same person. Uh, <laughs> so when you know. Google, like, because and I, just, I discovered this because I wanted to Google Mar- to find you know the picture, which is the picture of of a Margaret Hamilton. And the computer programmer who uh, standing beside the printout of uh, her uh, her code, which is as tall as she is, all because back then they used to use those dot matrix printers to print out you know their their programs, right? 
and check them and things like that. Um, yeah, so she she like the the actual uh, logic or program or whatever they made that went to that took them to the moon and back or whatever was was as tall as she was when you printed it out and stacked it up. So, I mean, Alexa said last week it was a, it was a stack of books, but it's actually a stack of of that those printouts. I don't know. I don't know if you remember. Do you ever work on baby systems or IBM systems, Mark, and have those big giant printouts that your accounting accounting departments used to use? For reports sure did. And yeah, and they always yeah. had that uh, the detachable edges of the paper with the holes yeah. in it. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was like end to end. It was like they were all um, accordion style. I guess they would just fold onto each yeah. other. And yeah. nobody under it. forty knows what we're talking about, Tim. With the edges, no, with the paper they, they, with the edges with the holes in the edge. The yeah, dot uh, matrix uh, printer style. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess the dot matrix did use that too. I guess so. Okay. All yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, the yeah. original image writer was had paper like that, right? Yeah. But it didn't have yeah. the, the the paper we we're talking about. Jaime had like it was like um, you know sometimes you see an Excel spreadsheet and it's like every second line, every second line is is, is sort of a blue color, so white, blue, white, blue, white, blue. Mm-hmm. Like that. Mm-hmm. that paper had that kind of imprinted on it already, and and they were about probably about, about as wide as a keyboard. I want to say like t- almost twenty inches wide, I guess, right? Yeah, nineteen inches, let's say, and then and you would print like on you know portrait style or landscape style, and they would just they would you would have a you would feed from the front of the printer, and they would come out the back of the printer, or, and they would just stack you know, nicely because they were accordion accordion folded, right? And you would tear them off and run off to the look what I've discovered and Eureka and all that kind of stuff. Back when uh, yeah, and you'd carry you'd have these big binders that you'd put your your code in and flip through it and stuff. We, we used to use it for everything, libraries and record keeping and yeah, it was crazy stuff. Anyway, now we use PDFs for everything. Anyway, um, turns out, uh, so we were also talking, the other fact check, we were talking about the iPhone XS or the iPhone the iPhone with uh, Face ID. I know that when I had my iPhone 10, which is the original uh, Face ID phone, that if I was on the couch or lying down, I had to, I couldn't use the Face ID with my phone held sideways. And I don't know if it has to do with the iPhone XS or not. And since the, you know, because the, the new iPad, um, iPads with Face ID came out, they had the horizontal lands- landscape orientation. You could use, you could still recognize your face. But I was able to unlock my phone, as Mark said, um, holding my head on the side and my phone on its side too. But I'm, I'm not sure if that's particular to the iPhone XS. Maybe our fans can let us know. But uh, I was able to uh, use my, unlock my phone in, in sideways mode. Uh, what phone do you have currently, Mark? I still, I can do that on my iPhone X. I wonder if they upgraded the, updated in the operating system somewhere. Because hmm. it was like one of my most annoying things about, about yeah. Face ID in general. I don't know. Yeah. All right, so I'll cover the Ask Anthony JC since it's all me, as Jaime says. Um, so yeah, we were talking. We've been talking about you know Fred Rogers and and uh, you guys probably knew. Do you guys know Captain Kangaroo too? Sure. This year is the 50th anniversary of, of Sesame Street, and actually, um, Carol Spinney just passed away this last past weekend um, at the age of 85, I believe. He was the char- He played the character of Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch for uh, 50 years or so. He just stepped down last year, but he just passed away this weekend. So you know, rest in peace and all that stuff. But the video I've got here in the Ask MTJC is a guy named Ernie Coombs, who's also no longer with us. But he was he he was in a show called Mr. Dress Up, which is another show that most Canadians grew up on watching. And uh, he did arts and crafts, and he had like uh, had this tree. Um, it's over at the CBC building downtown. You can go to the Mr. Dress Up's tree and take your picture beside it. And um, in the tree lived his little friend Casey and Finnegan, which were very similar to Fred Rogers. Had the trolley and the little uh, cat that he talked to, Tiger, I think. Right, Daniel Tiger, I think. Um, yes, it is Daniel Tiger. Now I think about. 
about it, who's now gone on after Mr. Rogers to be a famous character. But Casey and Finnegan were the two, it was the little boy and his dog that, that uh, Mr. Jessup would talk to. Uh, and in this video, it got posted here. He's showing kids how to make stockings for their friends, um, like Christmas stockings, right? And um, the interesting fa- fact is that um, my dog's second name is Finnegan because he looks like Finnegan the dog from the show. So that's that. And I posted it with Ask MTGC, so I'd be forced to talk about it. Anywho. All right. So moving on. Um, I put this uh, this uh, article here, and it's a two-parter, really, um, from Krebs on Security about uh, location services in iPhone 11 Pro. Um, there's been a lot of a lot of um, questioning about, you know, iOS uh, 13's um, tendency to tell you about um, apps that are using location, especially if they're on set to always. Um, like, I have a tile on my keys and Carol's keys and, and my, you know, I can on the phones as well, and uh, it, it pops up at least once a week to tell me that it's using location services. I also use location services on my Nest, which is my thermostat, so that when I'm out of the house, it knows that nobody's home, and it can, you know, go into, like, a low-energy mode and not, you know, keep the, war- the house war- nice and toasty because we're not here. Um, but for for those two particular features to work, location services, it has to be set to always for, for those to be able to, for that, you know, for it to communicate with their network stuff. But the article I've got here on Krebs on Security is about the fact that um, with location services, you can turn off location services. There's a global toggle in the system settings. You can turn it off completely, or you can go individually and turn off location services per app, right? So that so that uh, if you're concerned about, you know, tracking and all that kind of stuff. And it turns out that you can turn all of the location services off on your phone, and it still does some location tracking, or it does some location service stuff and communicates with Apple and all that kind of stuff, because occasionally you see the little arrow that points, you know, that shows your location is being used at that point in time. Um, and so they wrote an art, this uh, gentleman here on Krebs, and the article, article written by... Brian Krebs, according Brian to Krebs. Twitter. Yeah, well, he's, he's written this article. Anyway, so this is posted on um, uh, the 3rd of December, and I, when I grabbed it and stuck it on here, um, about, uh, he posted a video and he sent a, a letter, a notice over to Apple to sort of inquire about why they're doing this. Um, he speculated on what he, what he thought it might be, and then there's a follow-up article, which he's, he's uh, updated on the 5th, uh, takes to another story, which where Apple has responded saying that it's using the ultra-wide um, Wi-Fi band, I think it's called. It's a service where, you know, in iPhone 11 Pro and Pro Max, you can point your phone at another user of the same of a similar device, and you can do like a like a targeted uh, airdrop with them or air sharing. Um, yeah, ultra ultra wide uh, ultra ultra wide band, which is a, or UWB, um, and apparently it does this to sort of detect whether or not um, there's any other UWB uh, devices in in range of this phone. Um, and uh, in this follow up article, he also talks about the fact that there's some countries where they have not allowed ultra wide band technology to be used at all. So sort of a puzzler on location services. I don't know if you guys have discussed or come across issues with location services in your travels in the last couple of months? Not really. I mean, it actually, if anything, it seems like it's gotten less frequent in the with, with a couple of latest uh, updates. I haven't really noticed it. Maybe I just got used to it and started ignoring it. Yeah. I mean, it's one of these things like, like it's funny, I, I, was, I was thinking about this when I was reading this article earlier today to refresh myself. Um, there was a there was a story a while ago, I think, where uh, a Google representative was, was before Congress talking about how um, they were trying to explain to Google that, you know, even though the I guess the, the Senate 
monitor or whoever was questioning him has a, had a, an Android device, and he says, I, I turn off location services, and you're still tracking my location. Um, I think it's a similar kind of, probably a similar kind of thing to this, that there's something in the system that, that um, in order to make your, your phone, you know, have a relatively decent experience, I guess it's trying to, trying to figure out where you are and what's what's around you, right? Like sniffing for networks and stuff like that. That's another reason why Apple says they, they do this as well. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts, comments? This one was kind of interesting to unpack because it's related to a feature that like a lot of people aren't necessarily using, um, like directly. I, I think AirDrop does make use of it and for the time being until they release the uh, Apple Tile or whatever it is they're calling that right, right. Bluetooth tag, you know, Bluetooth wideband sort of thing that's going to come out. Who knows when? It's, it's just been sort of leaked and nobody really has a, an idea of the product itself. Right, um, right. So it's it's related to that, that they were using this technology that apparently requires them to check, to verify that they are not in certain areas of the world that this is restricted. And in order right. to do that, they have to figure out where your location is, regardless of what you've done to turn off location services. Now, in this case, Apple is saying, well, that stuff doesn't leave the device. So it's not communicating back to Apple where your location is, just that your device is like, hey, am I in restricted zone? No? Okay, cool. Moving on. Um, it got weird because Apple, it, it, I think it was probably the right UI uh, in this case. Like it could have been handled better, but as a sort of a, a fail safe, in this case, location services was getting triggered and people were like, what the heck? I turned everything off. What's going on? Right, right. Yeah. Um, turns out there was this missing thing of like, oh, by the way, uh, we have to ask for it, you know, when we're, we're using this technology and rest assured, it never leaves the device. We're just checking locally. I don't know if that made people feel a lot better, but probably a little bit better than they ended up in this case where it seemed like what the heck is still calling location services, but at least whatever um, under the covers in iOS itself that says, hey, yes or no, flip a bit, you know, is is location services on? It's like, yes, it is. Not in the way a user might think, but it definitely was on. So it wasn't like they were hiding it per se, just really poorly communicated. It's also odd in the fact that, that um, you know, they've been having all these commercials lately sh- displaying how they're conscious of privacy and they protect your, you know, this is most secure phone in the in the world they, as according to Apple sort of thing. And it's doing this kind of questionable stuff. But um, well, this one's weird because it, it does fall into the, it's protecting your privacy, right? It's, yeah. um, you know, it's not giving away your location there. Um, it's communicating it in a really poor fashon. And it, it is sort of, like, it doesn't make you feel good about your privacy, right? right like, let's right. be really clear that, like, it is a terrible experience. And it's sort of like going up to your friend and be like, hey, just wanted to let you know, I didn't hit you in the face with a brick. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. <laughs> was that like an option? No, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. But I just wanted you to, con- to confirm with you that I was not going to do that. Like, oh, all right. I feel less good now than before you told me about this situation. So it's, it's a bit like, so I guess you haven't seen the, the TV show C yet, right? Uh, no, I have not. No. Okay. Well, I'm going to, a bit of a spoiler here, but, but so as you know, Jason Momoa's character, he doesn't he hasn't he lacks vision right he's, he's blind but he's like the leader of this tribe and he has this big giant um sickle shaped uh sword that he uses to smote his his uh his enemies right but as he's walking around he's got to try and sort of feel what's in front of him and, and sort of try and find his his enemies and stuff like that right and he walks around 
around by swiping this big giant sword in front of him on the ground, like like uh, like people use a white cane kind of thing, right? But he does it in sort of like a you know like slicey, you know, slicing back and forth motion. It's kind of like you're checking to see if there's an enemy around with this big giant knife, right? But oops, sorry if we if we actually nick you on the way by, you know, that too extreme analogy, you think? Or? I don't know that I <laughs> that I really got the analogy, but I understand the intent. Well, if you're trying to find, you know, you're trying to orient, you're, imagine you can't see and you have to orient yourself to the to the environment and the only, the only tool you have at your at your avail is this, is a knife, a big sword, and you sw- kind of swing the sword around to make sure there's no enemies around. And if you happen to nick a foe as you're walking by with your swipey motion, you know, kind of like, you know, they're turning on, they have to turn on privacy to make sure that they're not breaking the rules about privacy or turn on location, right? It's, it's an odd argument. But anyway, yeah, so I guess we can all sleep at night knowing that Apple is like, you know, doing things to protect us in spite of this weird location puzzler. All right, over to you, Jaime. Yeah, I, I put this one in follow-up for giggles. So uh, around this time last year, we found out when the App Store would be shutting down for reviews. Mm-hmm. And guess what? It's around the same time. In fact, it's the same exact time this year. It really? is December 23rd to the 27th. It's at least three different years in a row that I've seen this. So, so. is this like the same dates as the... Because this is two days before Christmas and a couple of days after, right? Yeah, yeah. I'd always wondered if they did it just because I never really... It's Monday to Friday it. in this year so yeah which works out sort of smashingly but looking at previous years 2018 and 2017 um, it was the same dates which didn't line up quite as nicely for you know really huh. for you know long vacation time sort of thing so if you're listening to this episode and you still have a release to do you should do it post haste or hold off on it you know you don't want to have a bad build up there and then be completely unable to do anything about it true yeah i think i think that um it makes sense that it's five days in a row but then also i guess the, the i mean the reality is is that the app store works 24 7 seven days a week right so it's not like not like they you can't get a, an app reviewed on a, on a weekend sort of thing right so a couple of days before the holiday and a couple of days afterwards right yeah yeah and thankfully it lines up pretty nicely so i'm sure there's gonna be this year it does yeah yeah taking year, uh, yeah. some nice lengthy holidays from the what is it the 21st to the 29th i would guess mm-hmm. all right what's up next you're up next again yeah this one i thought was interesting so we've we've talked about subscriptions and you know fatigue around them and, and things getting out of hand one that i do remember people talking about i do not recall if we talked about it ourselves on the show uh, but i i thought there was a good chance we did so bmw had said that hey uh you like carplay cool we know you have a lot of money so we're just going to charge you 80 dollars a year for <laughs> bmw owners to use basically subscribing to carplay on the bmw uh, set of vehicles uh but now they've they've done an about face and said oh no actually we're, we're not going to have that annual requirement of uh subscription so hooray it's free for bmw folks who can afford 80 dollars? hello yeah th- th- that was one of the ones of like all right so what's the venn diagram of people who can afford bmws but not afford 80 dollars per year it, it definitely smacked of uh, nickel and diming because you could and it probably makes uh it probably makes your your you know annual and quarterly reports look really, really good. Of like, hey, look at this revenue stream. It costs us nothing to implement. Um, right. But I think in this case, they've decided to do uh, what I believe to be the right thing. So, so what Jaime's neglected to mention is this is in the U.S. only because <laughs> you know car player users outside of the U.S. will have to pay a additional two hundred thirty-five pounds for a lifetime subscription. Um, 
some BMW owners may need to pay an additional 235 pounds for a lifetime subscription. So that's weird. I don't know Mm -hmm. why there would be like, it it sort of makes sense as a, this is an add on thing, right? You, you, you got the, um, the plush velour interior. All right. That's an add on from whatever. But doesn't it come with CarPlay? It's not like an extra, you probably have to pay like an arm and a leg to have the CarPlay option in the first place. You probably have to pay to get the, you know, specific rear view mirror that you want. I'm, I'm sure. Right. If you really wanted to customize it. So it kind of makes sense, even though it's still kind of ticky tack um, for a premium product like a BMW, but I don't understand why they've made it different for USA versus non-USA. Yeah. And it's interesting that it's, it's a wireless CarPlay. So you don't have to plug it into that, to your lightning cable, like an animal. Um, I could do another machine, other cars, but it's interesting because CarPlay is generally free. I would think like, you know, you're, you're, you know, I guess you you have to pay for the unit. Like I know they get one aftermarket one, they're like seven, eight hundred dollars kind of thing to get them on uh, maybe different prices now. But, uh, and we've always talked about this, like when, the, when, how does it get updated? Like how does CarPlay get, you know, the next version of the OS, like a new OS comes every year, right? How does, is it like a firmware upgrade that, that the B, you plug your BMW into your lightning cable and update it or something? Or, you know, how does it, how does it find updates and things like Maybe that's where they thought the pricing was going to come in that, you know, would, would, you know, I would think if you're paying $80 a year, you're getting a new update every year too, right? Wouldn't you? If there was some sort of engineering maintenance costs around what you're talking about, that that would make it would make you know, justifiable sense as to why they would charge this sort of thing. It kind of feels like, well, they should just charge you when the upgrade happens. You know, you take it into the dealership. But on the other hand, it, it, it does seem ticky tack compared to like Tesla, who's like, hey, here's this new update. You can update your phone. Sorry, sorry, you can update your Tesla from your phone wirelessly, which is pretty neat. My car doesn't have CarPlay, but it does have a you know, it has an entertainment system that that does get it downloads uh, updates every once in a while yeah. but I've never had to pay for those they do want me to pay for a map upgrade you know new map data that I haven't gotten around to doing it because maps haven't changed that much in the past year right, right. but again it would be and you have, have, you have, a, have an iPhone as well right and I have an iPhone as well right right I don't know I mean and it's, it's funny though when you think about oh it's 225 235 235 pounds for a lifetime subscription what is a lifetime lifetime of an actual phone I mean that a person owns a car you know if you're leasing a car it's going to be two years right so and if you're buying a car like i mean i'm crazy because i keep cars for like 17 years and that kind of stuff right but like who else keeps their car cars at least 10 years do you yeah okay right i know that people flip their cars all the time especially if they're in the leasing situation right yeah 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 because i think the average lifetime of a car for a lot of people is like two years right so yeah maybe and that could be based around their their, um it's an expensive hobby to have to keep owning cars right like if you're paying for them outright but it costs more to lease them yeah yeah in the the long run yeah i don't know it's it's one of those arguments so i don't know if you've heard the old adage that you know a car starts depreciating the minute you drive it off the lot oh of course it does yeah 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 so i mean the the argument is that yes over the same period of time you will pay more for lease than you would for for than you would for owning the car right uh but the argument goes well with the lease every two years you get a brand new car right and and you don't when you own the car right you get a brand new crappy car true all right anyway this is a next story is a follow-up on on our friend alexis who was on the show talking about emacs and he was talking about some of the shortcuts that are available so I found a, a, a link here for the show. I put this in actually last week's show notes, but I thought I'd talk about it today. That there's an article here uh, I found for 59 shortcuts for Emacs for those of you driving at home, in case you're wondering, you know, what the, all the different things do, opening files and saving and all these other crazy, crazy things that Emacs does. So is Emacs, Emacs is built into Mac OS? Is that right? Or yeah, it comes with Unix. The terminal app, right? I'm, I'm actually still pretty amazed that people use it, but people love yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's one of those, you know, one of those, uh, uh, you know, what do you call them? Is it 
religious war I'm looking for? Is that a terminology where people yeah. have, you know, their favorite yeah. editor? Right? Yeah. So, I, actually, I actually used VI. You'd be proud of me, Mark. I used VI a couple times. This yeah. Week. Yeah. I guess I shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't complain because I still do use VI. I use Ed, which, you know, yeah. still my favorite editor. But yeah, just the other day I had to um, had to go in and um, and uh, update my HTTPS, uh, HTTPD config um, in my Mac because when I stuck Catalina on it last week, it clobbered my PHP, which I need to do some development with, right? So for APIs and stuff. So every every time I upgrade my OS, a major upgrade, I have to go in and, and re because it re erases the current HTTP daemon config and uh, puts a new one in for Apache. So yeah, so I have to go un uncomment the PHP and reboot, you know, or, or restart the, the Apache. Anywho, yeah. So, but I, I I actually did use, I normally would like cat the file to read it if I wanted to read the whole thing, but, you know, just um, usually I use Ed, but last week I used VI just, you know, for the sake of science. That was fun. Alrighty. Um, another follow-up again from Alexis last week. Uh, I think he actually posted, he gave us this uh, in, in our Slack afterwards. Uh, this is from a mathematics.com, uh, you know, from Stack Exchange. Um, yeah, Fourier Transform for Dummies is the article heading here. So um, I guess the theory of, you know, about the uh, about uh, the, the travel of the sun around the moon and, you know, planets and things like that, all sort of, you know, figuring out the math and math used to, to sort it out. Uh, it's not that long, but it's a quick little article on, on, I guess, the history of Fourier transforms and how they came to be in math and science so, and what what people would use them for. Let's follow up from that. So off to you, Mark. Uh, I mean. Yeah, the, the title of this is out of date, in particular by the time this episode comes out. Yeah. But it was true as of the 9th when I posted this one on, you can order the Mac Pro and the Mac mm -hmm. Pro Display XDR starting tomorrow, which, is which was yesterday. <laughs> by the time this podcast comes out, it is certainly out there. And um, apparently if you add the wheels, the $400 wheels to your Mac mm -hmm. Pro, you add a month to your delivery time. So what? keep that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> $400 if you wanted the wheels. Wow. Yeah. And does, it, does an Apple technician come to your house and set it up for you like they did with the, the 20th century Mac? I mean, maybe if you, if you live downhill from them and then you just go kart, <laughs> <laughs> box car race it on the way down. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, I don't know what this translates to other denominations, but apparently it maxes out at $52,599 well, US. Why, that's why I posted in the article, can I borrow $65,000 Canadian? Oh, is that what that is? Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. I didn't see that yeah, right below the there's link. There's no link in the... No, there's no link here, but but I was doing I was doing the the I didn't I, I went in and added it up and I came like you said I came up to I, I mean I put in I had to put in the magic trackpad and the magic keyboard right just because you know I had to have it right um I I already have film or. Um, Final Cut Pro and Logic, so I didn't need to add those to the order. But I, you know, chose the biggest RAM and the, all ch everything was like maxed out, um, and it's ridiculous. So it's funny. I was talking to a colleague at work today. When I first got involved in, in computer consulting, um, we had we used to sell. We well, didn't sell it, but we through we were aligned with Agfa, and they used to sell a thing called Color Studio and something else. And um, what they were was a single workstation uh, running like a sort of a flavor of Unix that would one would only do like Photoshop kind of stuff, color retouching and cloning and things like that. And the other only did page layout like Quark Express or, or InDesign, right? And the, the, the page layout system was like $60,000 and the Photoshop system was like $80,000. And I got in trouble because I said to a client once, you can do that on a Mac with Photoshop for like 10 grand. And of course that got back to Agfa and they called me and my boss into the, onto the carpet and said, you know, why would you tell a customer that? And then because it's true, you know, anyway, what did I know? But now 
now we're back to the these like workstation prices. Like this is not a Mac Pro. It should be called the Mac Workstation because at sixty five thousand dollars, who is buying that? I mean, other than maybe a video mogul or something like that, or movie producer or record well, producer. Well, you could argue that it should be called a Mac Pro, and all the other stuff that's called Pro should really not be called Pro, right? Because it well, truly is a Pro device. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like like we're back to the workstations we had, you know, twenty thirty years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. This one, to Mark's point, really does seem to deserve the pro moniker if you compare it to other things that are like why is this pro because it's more expensive yeah. okay cool yeah. <laughs> thank you i can take my uh, professional instagram photos with uh with stuff right like um yeah i don't know i was being really uh glib last night because i happened to be watching on television ellen degeneres's uh greatest giveaways where she's yeah partnering games. With people and giving away tons of yeah. money to you know people who are very needy and, or you know, went through a lot of uh trauma or tragedy right and i couldn't help but think after seeing the $52,599 thing, I'm like, I now measure things in currency when it comes to denominations in increments of Mac Pro. I'm like, oh, they gave this person $100,000. I'm like, that's not even two Mac Pros. <laughs> I feel like you could dig a little deeper and give some more. Yeah. It's really, it really warps your whole perspective on it. Yeah. Well, you know, your currency is just the, the stand by itself. The, the stand is $1,000. Have you announced the price on that? Oh, here, they got the prices here. Uh, what did the, I didn't check. Oh, the monitors. So at, uh, Oh, it's only dollars $4,999. That's not bad for a monitor. Right, but I think it doesn't come with a Visa mount, which is a couple hundred bucks more, or right. the $1,000, or $999, excuse me, less than $1,000, sub-1K mm. dongle, like, and put it on a stand. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I'm not even sure who the stand is really for, because a lot of people say, like, well, you'd probably would have the arm mounts if you're the Pixars of the world. You yeah. have several yeah. of these, and you arrange them with, you know, more disc, uh, desk space right. and you can arrange them you know much more freely so really unclear I'd, I'd love it if they ever broke out the sales of the stand itself because i'm very curious who that market is <laughs> yeah well it, you know typical of like you were just talking about the four the 400 wheels which would delay you right like so as a reseller i would cringe when a product like this came out because invariably i would get four or five people call me on like the first week and say i gotta have one of these things and i would go and place an order and it'd be like oh it's gonna be like six weeks or something you know or It'd be like, we can get you the monitor in like two weeks, but it's going to be a month and a half for the stand. Like that kind of weird dis- distribution logic used to come up all the time. So I just ima- I can't imagine what I'm, no, I, don't, I don't, I feel for the people who are like the resellers of the world who have to sort of figure out how to get these, these devices into people's hands, right? Unlike the Apple store where, you know, they constantly have stock. The other thing that we should mention too, is there is a rack mount version of this, uh, of this device, but it's also marked as coming soon. So we don't know when or how that's going to come to see the light of day, right? That's if you're going to use one of these things as like a render machine or a a server or something like that, right? But I think, you know, We've, we talked about this at work too, because we we currently use Mac Pros, like the the trash can Mac Pros, as as build servers, and and uh, we have like a number of them. And we we I think we're we're thinking like the next bunch of Macs we'll buy for build servers are going to be like Mac Minis, you know, because you can sure. rack mount two Mac Minis side by side in a, in a in a rack mount. And yeah, you certainly don't need Mac Pro power for build servers, but right. yes. Yeah. And the and the new Minis are are quite you know they're quite the stat, the, the stats on them are quite good, right? Yeah. So yeah, I've been saying for a while I've been considering for my next home machine to not 
even get a laptop at all. Just get a Mac mini and use it with my big right. monitor because, you know, that's kind of how I work these days at home. Well, and then what you could do too, Mark, is you could you could get yourself an AstroPad uh, dongle for your, your Mac mini yeah, and yeah. get yourself a 12-inch Mac Pro and you got you already got your Bluetooth keyboard, right? Yeah, yeah. And you probably just get a, You can sit on your couch and like I do and just work on your, your Pro as your monitor to your Mac, right? Yeah, sure. So, and you can, actually you can work anywhere in your house with it like that, you know, as long as, as, long as the Bluetooth reaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it, there's lots of options to do that, right? Like I, I still, I still have the old Thunderbolt display here. And, um, so I, like I'm sitting at my desk right now and my computer is plugged into the Thunderbolt display and that's what I'm looking at. But you know, when I'm, when I'm done the podcast, I just unplug all the plugs on my MacBook Air and I go sit back on the couch again, right? So yeah, flexibility. I also have two Mac minis that I use as servers myself. So, so I don't know. Interesting to see who's going to be buying these things. Yeah. It, it does make me think because I've seen people get a little bit hurt about this being called pro. I'm like, all right, hmm. fair point. There's a very sort of narrow set of pros of which this is for. It almost feels like you needed like Mac Ultimate or Mac Mega, you know, Mac Kaiju or something. Like, you know, if you're an iOS developer, you're still professional too. Don't feel bad. You can still continue to buy pro stuff. But if you need the the most extreme thing, you know, Mac Extreme, yeah. you know, since all stuff the, in the 90s the is Mac Pro work. Max. <laughs> Mac <laughs> Pro Max, yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> Mac Pro Max. Um, I, I, you know, I do know. I come from from print and publishing, and there's a lot of like ad agencies where you know you have you know, high powered uh, art directors and creative creative types um, who I know for sure will be buying buying these devices and sticking them in on their desks and so that, you know have a, like a power workstation kind of thing. I don't know if they'll max out like the the full meal deal. I mean, it's, what does it start at five thousand dollars, right? Five ninety nine or something like that. Five nine nine nine. What's the base base price of this thing with two fifty six? Yeah, I, I think it is. Five ninety nine or five thousand nine hundred ninety nine. So what? What? I mean, let's talk about this. What significantly is different than this, and in, in, uh, in terms of processor and stuff, right? Like compared to the iMac Pro, is it still? Uh, it's still um, Intel i seven i nines. I don't recall. I didn't go and, and try pricing what out, and I, I knew from the get go that this was not going to be. Oh, a these are Xeons. They're like the old server uh, XServe um, processors, Xeon Ws, the three point five gigahertz eight core processor, or twelve core, or sixteen core, or twenty four core, or twenty eight core. Yeah. So if you're doing like um, a lot of video rendering and stuff like that where you're doing multi-threaded stuff that would certainly come in 56 threads according to this uh, the top spec one yeah if you're doing a lot of processing i guess you could do that right ram, ram configurations from 32 gig to 768 gig sorry 1.5 terabytes of, of ram so from 32 gig to 1.5 terabytes of ram that's crazy on the video card so it's not even going wow, adding one and a half terabytes adds 25k to the price just the ram just the ram from 32 and gig wait to it only has terabytes. one power supply what the heck is that about <laughs> um lots of expansions Launch obviously you got the afterburners for uh, heavy duty rendering accelerator cards and yeah the base model comes with 256 um, gigs of storage which, which we already know is is tight for Xcode right yeah all the way up to eight terabytes for uh, with two two four terabyte modules of course it has the, the T2 chip. Two 10 gigabit Ethernet ports. Is that the fastest they can come up with? I guess that's pretty quick, right? But T1 speeds. Hmm. T1 speed is 100 megs. Is it 100? Yeah. 100 T1 megs. is very slow these days. Oh. Well, that's an expensive machine. I'm sure I'll have one someday just for the sake of having one, but I'll probably wait like 10 years before I get it. <laughs> and they were on the, you know, on the way out, being replaced by the uh, Mac Pro Max 2. Like a yard sale or something? Yeah. Aluminum recycler or something like that. All righty. Um, so this is a, a next article is a follow-up on, uh, we, were, we were talking about ethical 
um, implications and, and AI. There's an article I found today as I was uh, on my commute talking about um, the ethics of ethical implica- implications of conversational AI. That the thing is that um, conversational AI is, is uh, becoming a big thing in customer service. Um, according to this article, um, quite a few ser- uh, companies are now using AI as a sort of front line uh, for tech customer support. IBM predicts it'll be. Uh, so what does it say? Uh, IBM says that like you know 85% of customer interactions will by 2020 will be. Um, handled by uh, by computers where are we now that's next year right yeah um and it's interesting because because of the way ai ai works uh, these they can actually uh, from your tone as you're speaking to them they can they can infer uh you know emotions and things like that into into what you're saying um so I come back to the question of ethics is like you know is, is how is this information being used and stored and kept and of course there's a big uh, section here at the end on gdpr and um, keeping people's information as well but i think it's an interesting conversation about you know where we're going with these chatbots and what they're representing, right? Why is this any less ethical than anything else? Why is it less ethical? No, I think it's a question of, of, of ethics in terms of where, where we're going with this technology, right? But why? I mean, why why is it any more of an issue than all the other things? What's so unethical about a bot? No, you're not saying it's un, I'm not saying it's unethical. It's, it's, right. It's, yeah. well, There's a question of, of, we've talked about this before on the show, is like, you know, um, like, are we, in, there, there's a dangers that we've talked about, about in, in, in inference and, and bias, right? Like, you know, when they tried to use it for for court, uh, for um, parole courts and stuff like that, um, they tried to use AIs for that and, and it tended to use the, the data at hand and, and convict, you know, um, African-Americans harsher than, by a factor of eight, if you remember, than, than uh, white people, white convicts. Um, and there's also the stories of, of, you know, using them in, in medical triage where, in emergency rooms where because, you know, patients who suffered from asthma and uh, one other thing in a combination it was like a sort of a toxic combination they would just get whisked right into so there was no data on those people and so the ai would just send those people home because it didn't know it hadn't caught or the information wasn't recorded that these people were whisked right into icu right um so it's just sort of like how we're the, the danger is that you know not being aware of what the the bias is that, that go into into creating these programs right that's where the ethic question of ethics comes in you don't agree it, it's unclear to me on on some of the the article talks about other related things like GDPR, and, and that is a good question as to whether some of these um, chatbots will handle um, GDPR regulations uh, correctly. I'm not 100% clear on how that would end up being an, an ethical situation versus a legal liability situation. Um, but I can see some of the argument that they're talking about here of like normally when you have a, like a normal human being, you know, maybe they do have a really good uh, CRM, customer relationship management system where other people can see or, you know, what sort of interactions you've had, but it's all something that somebody sort of has to compile in their head and, and understand the context. Whereas in this case, I think what they're saying is the, the capacity of the chatbot to sort of instantaneously know like exactly which pigeonhole it wants to shove you into right. yeah. ends up being, um, I, I could see that being an, an ethical concern just because of the, the scale and speed of it being able to do that is a little bit different than, uh, you know, a comparable set of uh, flawed human beings trying to do yeah, but you could also, well or not. You could you could easily argue that that a human is much more likely to snap to a judgment right than a mm-hmm. machine. That's true. Yeah, I'm, I, I guess I'm not. 
I'm not sure what point the article is trying to make. I mean, yes, there's there's always ethical considerations for all technology, but this article seems to be seems to be trying to talk about specific ethical issues of bots, chatbots, without it really giving any details about what's you know why why should we worry about chatbots chat any more than we worry about anything else? You know, yeah, people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, anybody who's talked to customer support you know knows that that sometimes you you spend more time trying to explain to somebody what the issue is than actually coming to a solution, right? Right. Because it's not written in the manual sitting in front of them. That's how it seems sometimes when you're talking to, you know, human tech support, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's very often frustrating when you clearly know more about the situation than the customer support person that you're talking to and they're supposed to be the expert. But they have they have that power that 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 password that lets them do something that you can't. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I was trying to make a, a an appointment uh, at an eye doctor the other day, and um, you know, I needed to have the appointment made, and and I thought we were well on the way. She'd picked a date and she'd picked a time, and then she started arguing with me about whether I could come in on that day because it hadn't been a full year, full calendar year since um, my last appointment. Well, mm. how is that my fault? Like she should have realized in in her system and said, oh. I can't get, fit you into that spot. Maybe she should have checked beforehand, and perhaps a bot would do that. Like it would, you know, know do that. But yeah, it's like, and again, I, I ended up not making the appointment because I just got frustrated with the person on the phone, right? And I'll tell the doctor when I do make the appointment that I was not happy with that situation, but because that's when they've got a chance to do that, right? But yeah, but and then he'll probably defend her, you know, like because she's just doing her job, right? But uh, as a customer, I was unsatisfied with the with the interchange, right? So and that happens. That's the kind of stuff that happens. Is is they have their rules and they're not very good explaining to us what, what the reason why something can't you know why part a can't go into part b um you know i don't know about you but i tend to call tech support as few times as like as humanly possible oh yeah <laughs> but i mean that's what these 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 chatbots are doing now they're they're replacing the frontline you know questions um and then handing you off to a human if if uh, they can't resolve your problem right i mean that's i'm just I'm, I, my point was about this this as we've been talking the reason why it's follow-up is because uh, we've been talking and you know frequently about about, um, how AI is, is the data we feed into it. It's only as good as the data we feed into it, and, and the inferences that can be built up over time um, are based on the data that are fed to the, these systems, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I was just saying I didn't get the, the guy who wrote the article. I didn't, I didn't get his. Oh, point. it was a weak argument. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was, I, I found there to be no argument. <laughs> well, you know, what's what's he trying to say? There's... Yeah. Well, actually, as I'm trying to read the, as I'm trying to answer your question, I'm, I'm realizing that's the case too. Yeah. Like yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit clickbaity in that sense. Yeah. Right? Very, yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, and speaking of clickbaity, uh, there's an article here that was written by or an article or a post here from um, uh, this coming back to the. We should probably talk about this around the time that we were talking about the Apple Pro Display XDR because apparently you have to get a special cloth to wipe the um, an Apple provided cloth to clean the the uh, textured version of the Pro Display. You know, it has that nano texture thing going on on it. Um, so a friend of the show, Joe Plichabinski, had uh, posted here, and this is not follow up on the display, but follow up on the Apple card, because we talked about uh, Apple's statement that you shouldn't keep your, you should not expose your Apple card to leather, and you should watch, you know, be careful when you put it inside your jean pocket, so not, you know, not not expose it to too much denim. Turns out that Joe, for the last month or so that he's had his Apple card, has been living in his leather wallet, and 
know, much to Apple's chagrin, and also in his jean pockets for months. So, and it looks brand new. Says so he just refers to this as covering your ass. Um, well, I, I have to beg to differ. I I keep my Apple Card in my wallet, yeah. and it's one of these wallets where it's a little you know little pocket where the card fits in. So mm-hmm. two thirds of the card is covered by leather, and one third is sticking up. Yeah, and very clearly there is a discoloration where it's where it touches the leather all the time. So is that? Do you think that is it sort of like a brownie color? Is that probably from some sort of dye that's been used in the leather in the tanning process? I don't know. I mean, I don't know whether it's just the the texture of the card. You know, there's it's sort of a if there's if there's just enough texture that it's all you know when it's constantly rubbing up against the the leather, yeah. it just kind of soaks absorbs the the dye. From well, it's the painted leather. titanium. It's not actually raw titanium, yeah. right? Yeah. So maybe yeah, maybe just the paint has a reaction, a chemical reaction to leather. So I don't know, Greg, what do you think? Do you think a Twitter survey would be uh, useful here? (laughs) (laughs) Invoking him like a ghost? I'm sure he has an opinion. Um, yeah, like I, I also concur with Mark. I was looking at mine, and it does look like mine got a tan yeah. at the beach. Yeah. Really? Right? Like really? I can okay. sort of yeah. tell. Like, oh yeah, I always leave it in the same orientation. Then you uh-huh. get a little bit of um, uh, a little patina, a little finish on part of it, yeah, and then that the part that sticks is what out. Gives it cl- is it like that makes it like to me? The patina is something you need. You need to have that. That sort of gives you the the nice wear and tear and antique sort of. I'm sure in 20 years people will be buying distressed Apple cars. You know, like distressed guitars, right? Where they they made to look like they've been on the road for 20 years when in fact they're just brand new, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I really only notice now as I'm looking sort of very closely at it when I'm mm-hmm. using it out and about on a daily basis. I don't really see it under that sort of lighting. Yeah. And it still wows people every once in a while or they look at it sort of funny because it doesn't have any numbers on it. Mm-hmm. I saw a Mac at work the other day. Look, I don't know about you, but like if you look at your keyboard, if you have a Mac you've had for years, I know people who type like, you know, typesetters and stuff like that who wear the the letters off their keyboards because they 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 use them so much right and i can tell which are the most used keys or most used part of a key like a tab key or a space bar on my computer because there's like a bit of a shine to it right sure. the other day i saw uh, um, uh, at work i saw a 15 inch macbook pro from 2015 actually because one of the battery recall ones where where the guy's right hand palm had had rested on the you know the sort of rest area in front of the, the keyboard the paint was all worn away so god knows what he was they have like sandpaper hands or some sort of bracelet or whatever, but like that kind of character that you build into your your device by using it over and over again. I think I think that's you know that makes it unique in the sense, right? I mean that said, I keep my iPhone in a, with a cover and a case and a glass you know cover because I want to get maximum resale value when I go to flip it, right? But yeah, some things need to have that lived-in look. You know, we can't all drive around in Porsches and Lamborghinis, right? So, so we have two out of three um, Apple cards are, are now showing wear and tear. Yeah, and, but uh, I, what I have to imagine is happening is this, right? So um, I I don't have a slimline wallet. It's a trifold wallet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a George Costanza wallet, so don't get confused. But it's definitely not the, the more sleek, minimalist wallets that a lot of folks tend to have. So my wallet, you know, unless I'm in a dodgy area, tends to be in my back pocket. So it's it's definitely taking the, you know, the brunt of pain in terms of being squished against the the leather in the wallet. So I could see that versus I don't know anything about Joe's wallet situation. I'm going to guess he probably is the kind who would have a slim line and probably keeps it 
in a front pocket. So it doesn't end up with that immense pressure. He probably has the most designer based wallet ever. He probably got a special wallet from some, you know, special designer wallet thing, knowing Joe. A very, very tasteful one, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like special, you know, designer style, you know, art directors. He's probably going to get one of those art director Max I was talking about earlier. Um, but I can report that my Apple cart is still in mint condition. Because it's still sitting at the Apple office, hasn't been shipped to you yet? Does because it, it doesn't exist yet, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not even going to take it out of the package when I get it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, that's it. So uh, we missed a couple of things last week. We were talking, uh, Alexis brought so much to the table here, so I don't know if you guys want to talk about this. We've talked about this a little bit before, um, but... Um, He's mentioned here that iOS 13 brings easier crypto APIs and crypto kit framework. Um, and we're starting to see more third-party SDKs uh, handle a lot of AWS authentication, that kind of stuff. So uh, I don't know if you guys had a chance to look at any of these, some links he's put in here. Have you? Uh, let's see. So I see the URL request plus AWS, an extension on URL request to sign it for AWS. S3 signer AWS. Generous V4 authorization header. Oh, okay. Okay. I see. I see. So this does the dance for you so that you don't have to worry about signed signed requests. It just sort of handles it for you, what it's doing. I see. Okay. Particularly with pre-signed URLs. I don't know if this is the right thing. So I'm going to be, I'm just going to state what I think this is related to. And I could be wildly wrong. It looks a lot like something that I'm familiar with where on AWS for S3, you could have uh, your backend server say, Hey, uh, we would like you to upload some photos or videos. Uh, but we want to make sure that like not any sort of random person on the street can find our super secret S3 and just, you know, use it as their own hosting service. So we will provide this signed URL that is um, time sensitive. So it won't stay open in, in a legal place to, to output to forever. It'd be like 15 minutes, an hour. It's probably configurable. Um, so you'll get a, a little signed URL from the service. You'll upload there and then tell the service, hey, I, I put this in the place that you wanted me to. And then it can go process that information however it pleases. I don't know um, how this might differ from the way I've used it, where it was make a backend request, get a, um, you know, in the JSON payload, get a signed sort of token URL that you would get and then use on the client side. It seems to me like this sort of does that for you. Like it talks to Amazon services and gets a signed one on your behalf using um, the SDK. So the client could just do it without having to set up a mechanism on your own backend side to do this. Mm, right. I don't know if there's any any, um, you know, if there's any similar backend configuration has to be done with this part, or if this is abstracted away, something that uh, Amazon has. Are these meant to be used on the server side or like server side Swift or? Well, it has a link out to a Vapor's S3 signer. So that's where I'm a little unclear what the use case is. If this is the client one, and then you switch over to the Vapor S3 signer, if you're doing server side, or if this is actually meant on the server side. Mm. Well, if only Alexis was here to talk about it. Okay. You can hit us up at hashtag AskMDJC <laughs> and tell us how, how horribly wrong we were about it. Yeah, 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 sure. All right, off you go with your next one here, Jaime. Yeah, this is a really, it's a nice little article explaining sort of the history. Um, this is from Use Your Loaf about mm -hmm. self-sizing table view cells in Interface Builder. And most of the article shows like how not great the experience has been to this point of like really seeing what your self-sizing cells would look like in Interface Builder. But now, there's a neat little option in Xcode 11. It says if you check the little automatic box, mm -hmm. the table cell preview will now be fully self-sizing. 
which is neat. I think that's a good sort of quality of life sort of um, change. It's not going to be uh, hugely dramatic. It's probably why nobody really talked about it. But now we're talking about it because I think this is nifty. Well, Mark, you've talked about yeah, self-sizing yeah, this stuff is, before. Yeah, this, this has been an issue with uh, Interface Builder for a long time. So automatic table view cell sizing has been around for a while. Uh, and and they, you know, the, the box that you switch actually is not specific to Interface Builder. It's turning on uh, the automatic sizing uh, in the in the UI table view cell. But for forever, just Interface Builder would just ignore that. And even though it knew what the constraints were, it would not apply them. So you would get a visual representation of what the result of the auto, auto layout was, uh, like you'd normally get with just regular uh, regular views in Interface Builder using auto layout. So they've they finally, <laughs> after all this time, and after, after they've signaled that Interface Builder may be going away, <laughs> they've finally actually introduced this, uh, this feature. But it's nice to have. This isn't related to making anything automatic about self-sizing cells. It's about making the interface builder reflect what's going to happen? Yes, yes, right. yes, mm-hmm. yes. So mm-hmm. the, auto, the automatic sizing has worked for a few years now. It actually works quite well, uh, but it never, never really, it just never at all, sh- you know, showed uh, visually in the interface builder what was actually happening. Mm, interesting. Yep. Yeah, I thought I, had, I thought I had implemented that in one of my apps, but I was just wanted to find out the other day that I didn't properly. So back to the drawing board. Or back, maybe back to actually. 11 and see what's going on there. Oh, they weren't in your in your app. They weren't sizing correctly. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Just because yeah. well, I use uh, I use um, I adopted dynamic fonts a few years ago. Uh huh. So that you know the the font would grow depending on the user's yeah. know, settings. Yep, yep. But I would have assumed I would have thought that uh, if I had done cell sizing cells correctly, uh, it would have grown with the content, right? Yeah, yeah. They yeah they should. Yeah. I mean, maybe they do. I don't know. I think I, I switched my. Um, but you wouldn't I've see that in Interface Builder until. No, no. I'm talking. About, I'm yeah. looking at the app, but I, I would. Yeah. I think I was demonstrating to somebody the other day what the difference between dynamic fonts, using them and not using them, looks like in different apps, right? And I used my app as an example because I know I'd already implemented it, right? But I think I cranked the size up to a really huge size, and I don't remember the cells mm. resizing. Mm. Now, one thing that mm. doesn't, uh, to me, doesn't seem 100% there yet is is the auto sizing in SwiftUI. In fact, table views in general in SwiftUI seem, with custom cells still seem kind of uh, funny to me, but maybe I just haven't used them enough. All right. Um, what's next? Coming? Well, there were updates out for iOS, iPadOS, uh, presumably macOS, although I've not updated Catalina yet, so I can't speak too much of those. WatchOS, tvOS, and apparently HomePod, although I didn't actually check. I think of all the things, I did not update my HomePod. Don't actually even know where that oh, is. I, can I always check have to search for them. I can check it right now. I'm trying to look to see phone. where the updates... Oh, you missed the uh, the fact that I've, I've gone all Catalina on my machines at home here, Jaime. Except for oh, one. really? Yeah, yeah. My main, I updated my main machine last week, and uh, of course, my test machine from WWC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've been using. Uh, well, I had I talked about this last week, but I didn't really talk about it. So my my issue was I'm still I still use Adobe Illustrator from time to time, but I don't want to pull Adobe subscription price. Um, so I made a petition for Mojave, and I installed uh, just like a little small petition. I installed Adobe Illustrator on it as the only application there. So if I ever need in the moments panic to use an Illustrator, I can just fire up that that partition, do my work, and then come back to Catalina and be fine. Right, so I just made sure that the Illustrator would load, and I was satisfied enough that I could, you know, make the leap into uh, into Catalina. Um, but as well, during the um, Black Friday sales, I bought uh, Affinity.
Affinity Photo for my Mac, and I also bought Affinity Publisher for my Mac. So, so if I, I need those tools, I can go and use Affinity products instead of Adobe products. That was follow-up from last week because I mentioned I would talk about it, but I didn't. There, I did it. Just talked about it. Cool. Cool. Yes, of course, with uh, with iOS uh, 13.3, there also, there's also a new uh, uh, Xcode 11.2.1, I think. Hey, Siri, uh, stop. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I had my headphones on, and I didn't realize that the HomePod had just kind of started playing music. Oh, because could you, you, could you were hear looking it? at it. Could you yeah, hear I heard it? something. Yeah, and I had my headphones on, so I couldn't hear that it was actually playing music. Oh, yeah. But it, but I kind of qu- really quietly heard something, so I, that was me stopping. Sorry about that. I wonder if it were for me. Hey, Furnace, stop. Yeah. No, Furnace is dumb. I have a dumb Furnace. Not smart at all. All right. So, Jaime, you were you were mentioning a HomePod update. Uh, my my home app is currently saying HomePod updating dot dot dot. So I didn't hmm. tell it to, but it decided on its own that it needed to update. Apparently, yeah, I was so looking was for mine, and I couldn't remember how to update it because it's in a weird spot. It's yeah, not it just, on the HomePod itself; it's on the home. It's sort in of the upper home left hand. App. Kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, hmm, it's already up to date on thirteen three. It's like I didn't update. Oh, because oh, they switched on the automatic response. updates. Which I do not do because I'm paranoid. Yeah, you know it's funny. I on my Apple TV, I've, I've left auto update on, and uh, I've I've got not the OS, but I've I've using been using app up, app app automatic automatic updates on my uh, my iOS devices like my iPad and my my phone because I have enough space for them to update. But uh, yeah, I haven't been, haven't been burned by it yet. But yeah, I guess that, that day's coming, right? <laughs> but I, I don't turn auto updates on the OSs at all. I think that's just uh, playing with fire. Yeah, I mean it's not a really good sort thing for them to do considering they bricked home pods with one of these 13 updates so Did they? yeah i think it was the one immediately prior to this one 13 2 yeah. they had We've been to, having challenges with uh with um different versions of xcode running on whatever we're still on mojave at the office but um we're trying to update our xcodes and it keeps clobbering things because it wants to put new versions of ruby in and all that kind of stuff and, and yeah i think also in in um catalina they've re- they've re- they're removing a lot of the auto stuff that the command line tools used to put in in, like the is it Git that's changed or something? There's a few things I don't know if you guys have heard, but uh, a few of the tools, command line tools, are changed. In um, oh, Python's not being installed. Speaking of your pick, um, Python's not coming in Catalina automatically. Is that uh, right? Few, really? Yeah, there's a few other things that are. If you can Google something about that. Well, they removed Java a few years ago, right? Oh wait a minute, it's just saying Python 2.7. Oh wait a minute, Python 3 also is not. Um, so Python itself has been threatening to move to Python 3 for at least 10 years maybe more than that now but they actually now have done that they've actually now made python 3 the the uh, original so let's see so okay so this article says the older python language version 2.7 which is the old one is being deprecated in mac os 10.15 catalina and won't be included in mac os 10.16 same goes hmm. for other unix shift ship uh, scripting languages sorry uh, this is not as bad as it sounds python 3.0 was released way back in december 2008 yeah right um and so or okay skipping a few lines for 10 years it has been left up to users to install Python 3.x, a version which can be installed alongside of 2.7. Okay, details, details, details. Scanning to see if they actually are shipping 3.0. I mean, it sound, it sort of sounds from this article that they're shipping 3.0 in 10.16 instead of 2.7, which is not that big of a deal. Although it will break your old 2.7 scripts because they're not, not backward compatible. Well, actually, are you in front of a Catalina machine right now? I am on, I'm on a Catalina machine. Open the uh, terminal window and just type Python dash dash V Dash dash V or just dash V? I think it's dash dash. Double check. Let's try dash V first. Oh, oh maybe that's dash there? V. 
I just spewed out a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, it says installing zip book. What the hell did I do? Zip import book. Huh? Yeah, no. Okay, it's Python dash dash version. By the way, it, it's not Bash anymore. It's, it's, it's not Z Bash shell, anymore. Right? It's Z shells. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I heard some people talking about switching back to Bash after using Z shell for a while. Yeah. I really don't see the difference myself. Okay, um, so type Python space dash dash version. Yeah. It's not just dash dash V. Kevin dash dash. Well, normally with single dash with a single letters is the yeah. representation, but if you want the actual full name, you do dash dash. Right. Uh, 2715. 2715 on Catalina. On, well, on the machine that I'm on. And, and this is an upgraded Mac. So what, what should it be at? Well, mine is on 2716, but I'm on, I'm still on Mojave. Hmm. But I might have upgraded Python on my own at some point. That's quite possible. Uh, so, uh, well, okay. I guess, it, I guess this is, this doesn't really tell us whether Catalina shipped with, with 2715 or whether you just had an old version in your USR directory somewhere. And, uh, but I'm also right. It could have also been, I, I don't use Python. I've never used Python on this machine. So mm-hmm. till just now, well, for sure, Mojave installed Python. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's just a matter of does, does Catalina, if it doesn't ship with it, it, it also doesn't clear it out. Right. Actually, try typing which Python. Sure. User local bin. Yeah, user local. Okay, so some something installed it at some point. Yeah. And and probably OS updates don't uh, don't wipe out your user. Especially your okay, user so local. here it is. Anyway. I found an article that talks about significant changes in Mac OS 10.15, Catalina of interest to Mac admins. Um, one of them is, uh, yeah, one this one I knew about already, activation lock on the T2 chips. You can't, you know, if you have um, uh, managed Macs or if you're using like any sort of firmware key or firmware password on the machine, you can't get past that if it has a um, uh, on a T2 machine, but it says here that um, future Mac future releases of Mac OS will not include Python, Perl, or Ruby. Mm. They're still in Catalina, but a future will require a package install if needed, similar to Xcode mainline tool installation. Python 2 is not recommended as it is end of life January 2020. Yeah, it will be removed from future OS like Java or Java, as Tammy would like me to say. Um, yeah, so not Java. Java. I say Java. She says you should. You Java? I say Java. I, well, I say Java, right? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know no. how you guys hear it. Well, I hear it as Java when you just said it. I said Java. 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 Yeah. I mean, Java. how do you say it? Java. Java. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me. It's like I say Java, right? Like Wally. Uh, Unix shell will be changed from Bash to Z shell. How do you say Z shell? I say Z shell. Not Z shell, by the way. <laughs> I say Z shell. You don't say Z shell. Yeah, I was kind of wondering about that. Oh, I don't yeah. say Z shell. No. Uh, iTunes will now be broken, of course. Oh, what, if, what if you're series. running your favorite text editor? in the Z shell. Do you run oh, I don't the, Z, know. the Z shell? But I'm boom, Add in the Z show. Add <laughs> in the Z show. It says TCC has expanded to documents, desktop, and download folders. Trash iCloud Drive. I don't know what TCC is. Any idea? What's the context? Uh, it says TCC has expanded to uh, documents, desktop, download folders, trash iCloud Drive, and other cloud stores, as well as apps must require your permission to perform key logging or capture still or video images from your system. Yeah, Project Catalyst will allow. Are we allowed to ship Project Catalyst? Project Catalyst apps yet? Do you know if anybody know? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think there's some out there. As expected, previously announced support for 32-bit processes will be removed, which we knew. Improved photos, notes, and reminders apps like iOS. You know, I beg to differ about the photos. Um, screen time is now available on all macOS. Sidecar feature is new. Accessibility, improves, improves, uh, accessibility improvements include voice control. I really like voice control. That's cool. I don't know if you guys have played with that or not at all. Um, Apple Watch can now be used to approve app and Install system preferences, unlock view pass 
passwords by double tapping the side button. Interesting. Hmm. The LP admin, which is printer driver, will stop working in a future worker of Cups. I forget what Cups is, but it's a printing system in, built into Mac. Yeah, right? Cups is an open source Unix printing system. Interesting. Well, that's, there you go. So I'll post this in, in the link in the show notes for those of you Mac admins out there. This is from June. Alrighty. So, yeah, so we're, we're at our pick section here. So why don't we just talk about your pick there, Jaime? Yeah, it was arguably follow-up because <laughs> a few episodes ago, Tim, you mentioned about learning a little bit of Python. And yeah. that's what my pick is here. It's Python for Beginners in, on YouTube. It's a series of videos on Microsoft's official channel. Yeah, they're, they're small, for the most part, small little nuggets. So there's 44 videos. They range from uh, four to five minutes upwards of, what, 15-ish minutes. So I don't know that it'll take all that long. It's not hopefully not too intimidating, but they also break things up into sort of logical chunks of what you would sort of need to know, including sort of how do I even get started? In this case, they're talking about configuring Visual Studio Code, um, but it goes all the way through uh, handling collections, loops, uh, managing um, keys for for what? Oh, uh, probably keys within dictionaries, I suppose. Decorators and all sorts of stuff. Cool. It's interesting. I was just that reminded me that I, I one of the, when I was first learning Objective C, there was a resource I used to use called and it's in. I looked in my my bookmarks, which I don't really do very much anymore. But I had this uh, guy named Rye from Rye Press. This guy named Rye had all these these tutorials. He did a great Southern accent, and he would whip through different things about uh, um, you know l- different features of Objective C in, in these little like, one minute long videos. But uh, I just went to the the link, and of course, Rye Press is gone. It is four oh four. So I have no idea who Rye is or where he's gone. And- the sad day. Oh, All righty. I guess that's it for another week. Okay. So, hey, how many people want to get in touch with you? Where would they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. And Mark, people want to get in touch with you? Mark R at Smapsoft.com. All right. My name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. On the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. And so next time we'll say bye-bye. Bye. 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 This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. This is friend of the show, Mike Vanockmans. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast's Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Yeah, I've actually been disappointed. Every time I pull it out, it kind of looks a little gnarly. Right, for wear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well.
I was warned not to put it in my wallet. Indeed. You were. And I, I do think it was definitely a cover your butt situation for Apple when they put out the, the warning so it wouldn't be this huge mm-hmm. news story. And I think it's pretty similar for the Mac Pro of like, look, use this special towel that we're going to give you so that it will not scratch or otherwise deface your monitor. Mm-hmm. And I can guarantee you there will be people on day one who decide to use Windex with some sort of, you know, sandpaper. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe it, it scratches so easily. All I did was take this buffing machine and try to polish it (laughs) (laughs) and it completely destroyed my five thousand dollars yeah okay sure i mean i think it's sort of getting out in front of uh of the story um which is sort of weird that like apple sort of has to like clickbait troll itself in order to tamp down some of the the drama around this stuff Mm, cool Just finished watching the report. Have you seen the report? No, what's that? On Amazon Prime, it's about um, the 7,000-page report that the the Justice Department did on um, the CIA about uh, all the torture and stuff during post-9-11. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. was it good? Yeah. Um, Well, it's it's got that sort of Aaron Sorkin vibe to it, but um, halfway through, I'm like, why am I watching this? (laughs) Because it's just making me mad about American politics and (laughs) partisan politics and, you know, how the Senate and the CIA and the FBI and the yeah yeah. If you want to get mad about American politics, just watch the impe- the impeachment hearings. Yeah, no, I haven't. I, I, yeah, I haven't haven't really gotten a, acquired a taste for that yet. I remember I remember Watergate when I was a kid, right? Um, yeah. I think I think I told you that we were actually in Washington the weekend that the story broke. Oh, were you? Yeah, I, I mean, think you told me that. yeah, I mean, my sisters told me actually because uh, um, I think I was probably about twelve or thirteen, and we had gone to Washington for probably my dad probably had a job interview down there somewhere. But hmm. we, you know, we we went to the Smithsonian and the Capitol building, and uh, we didn't go to the White House. We went to the, we went to the Senate building. I remember that. And there's some sort of railway that runs between the Senate and the White House, I think, or something like that, or there's like a like a little underground railway there like a shuttle because i remember going on that and then um but i remember the smithsonian more than anything else right and uh yeah, and apparently that was the weekend that Watergate broke, and my dad was huge oh. into American politics, right? So, yeah. so it was on every day. Came home from school, and and it would be on at like you know three o'clock in the afternoon. It would go for like a couple of hours, and then they would replay it, you know, when the parents got home from work. Mm. So it was like all Watergate all the time, all you could stand. It, it must have gone on for like a year and a half. I don't know how long it went on, but it was just you know that's when we all went and found other things to do. Yep. <laughs> you know, so yeah, just telling, just reminding, my, reminding myself how how bad it was during the war on terror. You know, intentionally pronounced that way. Probably going to get worse. Yeah, more war on Terra. I've been watching something decisively less, uh, more light than that. I've been yeah, watching uh, Mrs. Maisel on Amazon Prime. Oh yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's actually so, pretty funny. No, I, I, how, I'm, I'm just about to start season three. How far into it are you? Are you I'm done. To... I saw, I'm done with season three. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Season three was good. I mean, you know, like anything else, after three seasons, it's not quite as fresh as the first season. Yeah, season, but it's still, I mean, but it's still good. Yeah, good. Don't wreck it for me. No. No, no. Yeah. You know what else I watched that was pretty good was uh, something called The Spy. Uh-huh. Have you have you heard of this one? Uh, maybe. I don't it know. It was like a six episode thing yeah. uh, on. I think it was on Netflix. It was star- it's starring Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. I, AKA Borat, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a serious dramatic role. Yeah. No, not funny at all. Did you, you saw his his speech on um, what was he talking about the other day on uh, like a serious thing on? The only thing I can think of is he was really hurt and upset about social media platforms. Yes, about yes, about fa- how how Facebook and those kind of guys in, in, in uh, control the dialogue, right, and teach people things that you know maybe they shouldn't be teaching people. Mm. Yeah, like you know, yeah, it's they they have a monopoly on conversations. I think what he, what he was trying to say, right, but in much 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 more efficient way than I was just saying it not just now. Mm. Yeah. Yep. 
I keep thinking we should uh, transcribe some of these older episodes and turn it into some sort of a book, or as Jaime says, you know, the DVD collection or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's doing the ultimate box set, right? We should do an ultra, ultimate box set. <laughs> hmm, that'd be that'd be interesting. Have you not seen the uh, like the like every every band that's out there? I guess and again, maybe it's that uh, iTunes economy or whatever uh, or lack of economy. Um, they're all putting out their special edition. Like um, Steve Miller put out a box set, and it's like you know four hundred dollars and. You know, Pink Floyd put one out and it's $400 and Eric Clapton just put one out and they're all coming out with these, you know, they, they're digging through the archives of stuff you've never heard before and publishing it, right? Well, it's hard, to, be make, it's hard to make money selling records these days. Yeah. So, Mark, and I don't if know if you... If you're like Steve Miller, you're, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you're not going on tour 300 days a year yeah, yeah, to make that money. True. Sorry, what were we going to ask? Well, I was going to say, because I don't know if, like, I mean, we talked about the Abbey Road um, album yeah, last week. Yeah, and I listened to it. It was really good. But did you, did you, did you hear the, um, like, not just the album, but there's also the extra cuts that come with it. Did yep. you hear that on Apple Music? Yep. Including Those the, are amazing. Uh, including <laughs> the, the long one with Her Majesty in the original spot. But yeah, which is earlier on in the song, Which is between right? uh, uh, Mean Mr. Mustard and Polythene Pam. It's right, kind of yeah, yeah. And it actually fits. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was interesting. I, I like the part. Was that the one where he starts singing? Or no, it was um, something else. He starts singing, uh, um, you know, the, what, the, because the, I think Because the World or whatever that song is called. Yeah. Um, it's just called he starts singing Fool on the Hill at the beginning. Oh, I didn't listen to that one. Oh, I got, yeah. I got to check that out. That's cool. Actually, was it? Uh, let me just see. I mentioned it on Twitter. Just I was talking to somebody about it. Maybe we should do a all music podcast because <laughs> I, I have had some people kind of you know complain a little bit that we go off on these music tangents. Oh, really? Yeah, and they want to hear more about Xcode. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, people like it when we talk about Swift UI and stuff like that. And yeah, we do the music tangents. I, I usually put those in the um, most the of the time. Show? I put those in the in the after show. Yeah, yeah. Like last week, I just. I left that one in the middle. What did we talk about? I don't remember. Abbey Road. Oh, okay. Yeah, because take one, no, it's instrumental. Uh, let's see. Oh, I don't see it. Yeah, I can find my tweets and replies. Hang I don't on. see it. Another take of us. No, it may not be because it's, it's one of those songs that has a piano intro at the beginning. Oh, Sun King, maybe? Nope. It's coming. Oh, yeah, here. I was listening to, to the, the original cut of Ballad of John and, and, Ballad of John and Yoko, which is yeah. John Lennon and Paul McCartney in the studio by themselves. Mm. And so John's playing acoustic guitar and that's Paul McCartney on drums, hmm. right? And actually, so, and uh, I think I was, I was talking to somebody, and, and he said uh, um, that uh, uh, when somebody asked who's the best drummer in the, in is, is Ringo the best drummer in the Beatles, and, yeah, and John says no, he's not. Not even, not even the best drummer in no. no that, the actual quote is somebody asked him is is Ringo the best drummer in the world, yeah. and John said he's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, right, right. In the, on that track, yeah, yeah, yeah. And because Paul McCartney was sitting on the drums at that, right, at that point, right. But but um, but actually, oh, Ringo. Golden, Ringo. Golden Slumbers, beginning uh, of Golden Slumbers. He's you know because he starts the, the 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 piano bit and then he starts singing day after day. Okay, let's see this one. He's gonna listen to it now, folks. On your home pod, or I actually listened to that on uh, my my uh, Echo the other day. It sounded pretty good. I've never actually played music on it. What kind of Echo? Uh, the tall one. What do you call that thing? It's, it says Echo. It's oh, a, you know the one that's about eight inches tall or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's probably one of the newer it's, ones, so it has like a fuzzy covering. Yeah, it's got like a gray covering. It's about a year old, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, last Christmas, I think. Yeah, or, yeah I think they radically improved the sound quality out of those yeah yeah very bassy like fill the room but apparently like i asked it to play and it used amazon music to play it but i but i'm pretty i thought for sure i had tied my apple my apple music into it do you have to tell it to play on apple music because i don't maybe maybe i don't know what the default i don't know if you can set the default or not maybe you can check the settings yeah well there's the amazon app but maybe you know maybe i did an update 
of the Amazon app and it changed the settings on me because things like that do that, right? Amazon Alexa, I got the Alexa app. Sorry. Let's see what it does. Jim, have you ever seen a movie called My Dinner with Jimmy? My what? My Dinner with Jimmy. No, what's it about? You might find it funny. I mean, it's it's sort of a, it's not a great movie, but it's kind of a cute movie. It's about, yeah. apparently it's it's based on a true story about, um, you know, the band, The Turtles? Yes. So. Lo and Eddie. Lo and Eddie. Yeah. So before they were Flo and Eddie, before, when, you know, when they went by their real names and they were in The Turtles, um, mm-hmm. they, uh, the, the, the singer, the lead singer, so the guy who would become Eddie, uh, wrote a memoir about their first, uh, or a screenplay, actually, I guess it was, about their, their first uh, trip to the UK as the Turtles. And he's, it's, it's basically stories about how they, you know, they were hanging out with Graham Nash and mm-hmm. Donovan and mm-hmm. um, met the Beatles in a club and, yeah. and heard Sgt. Pepper before it was released. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And then, and then this, sort of spoiling the movie, but it's not the point of the movie, um, is so the, he meets, the guy gets, the guy gets separated from the rest of the band and ends up uh, meeting Jimi Hendrix and has dinner with Jimi Hendrix. Oh, wow. Um, and so, so the, a lot of the movie is, it's, you know, I'd say about the first half of it is kind of, you know, leading up to who are the turtles and where, you know, how did they end up going on this trip? It's a, it's a fictionalized with, uh, version with, with actors. It's not a documentary. Um, right. Okay. And with actors playing the parts of the band and everything. And then they go and, and, and yeah, and he meets Jimi and about the second half of the movie is just him sitting there with Jimi Hendrix having dinner. And mm. I won't, t- I won't tell you how it ends, but it's, I it's kind of cool. I have heard of that. Yeah. I think I have. Yeah. Maybe you told me before. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not a great movie. It's not high art. It's not my dinner with Andre, you know, <laughs> what's um, my dinner with Andre. Is that a different, different thing. That's a different thing. That was this like artsy movie from, I think the seventies, oh, which yeah. was just, the whole movie was just two guys having a intellectual conversation. And it's, really? it's considered like this art film classic, you know, but oh, okay. I've never watched it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you might get a kick out of this. It's, it's, dinner it's with cute. Jimmy, all right. My dinner with Jimmy. We'll have to check it out. Yeah. Show off a show. The uh, the thing I've been watching uh, this week has been the five episode crossover for Crisis on Infinite Earths. Oh yeah, so yeah this is yeah. in the the CW shows. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, the final two episodes won't be until January fourteenth. They're taking the winter break. Um, but it is the most ambitious crossover I've ever seen really? in a TV series. Because huh. they the the crossover um, the Arrow, Flash, um, Batwoman, Batwoman, Supergirl. Legends of Tomorrow. Oh, really? And a whole bunch of others. But this year, they brought in uh, all these different cameos and, and sometimes more than cameos. So they brought in. Uh, so Brandon Routh plays two different characters. So his normal Legends of Tomorrow character and a version of Superman. Oh, wow. Okay. Basically the one he played yeah. uh, before. Yeah. Uh, they, they brought back. Um, I can't remember this dude's name. He played uh, Arliss on the HBO series, hmm. um, but he was one of the reporters from the, the 1989 Batman. They brought back um, uh, the guy who played Robin in the 60s Batman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Burt Ward. Burt Ward. Thank you. Uh, they, they brought in Tim Conroy, who does the voice of the animated Batman. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, it's just like you, you blink and I'm like, oh, my God, did I miss another mm-hmm. uh, thing? It's just wild the way that they took this whole scheme and said let's how much fan service can we pack in to an hour episode and they've you know they've delivered on that for sure mm. with their with their you know cw budget is that a big budget no <laughs> it's like a lot of the cgi is like you know it's not it's not 1990s uh tech it's right. like late 2000s tech you know because they have to use it a lot uh, there's some things that are done pretty well like the, the costumes are actually done pretty well but um these uh these portals that they're using to go between the different earths on the infinite earths thing is 
is like pretty cheesy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of, of story that's forced of like, hey, I'm a dude. Cool. I'm going to move the plot along. <laughs> Um, but it's, it's actually holding together a lot better than, than you would think. So why is it, why is it called Infinite Earth? Is it like different, uh, like multiple universes kind of thing or what? Yeah. Like for example, uh, Supergirl takes place in a different universe than Arrow and Flash right. who are in the same universe. I don't remember where the Legends of Tomorrow come from. Uh, uh, Black Lightning is in his own universe, but he also makes an appearance in this series. I'm looking at, so I'm looking at Crisis and Infinite Earths. Um, and that's coming to Batwoman. If I, I'm on IMDb. I'm looking up the parts, different parts here. So you remember what the guy you were looking for, the one you couldn't remember his name? I don't remember his name, but he, if you look up over right here, let me look it up. So part, part one is, part one is uh, Supergirl, right? According to this, season five, okay, episode so nine, for those of you driving at home. Arliss stars Robert Wool, who played who in Batman 1989. Does that not show up in his Wikipedia entry? Will Wheaton's in there too. Oh, there we go. Alexander Knox. He was one of the reporters. Mm-hmm. So he, he reprises that character. So what character is Robert Wool play in this part three? I don't even know. I, I, I got to have to watch the scene again. I'm not sure if he's intended to be Robin or if he's just a dude walking his dog who happens to be recognizable okay. as, as Robin, especially with his exclamation holy Batman. like holy red skies yeah, or yeah, something yeah mm-hmm. so is there a way to watch this stuff without having to watch all these different shows like like will it ever be on like amazon or netflix or something without having to watch the shows um because i've never watched a single episode of daredevil or arrow yeah i mean um i guess i come into it knowing slightly more because i regularly watch supergirl mm-hmm. and i've been watching this first season of um um batwoman uh, i never really got into to flash or arrow so they they do a decent job of recapping what you need to know mm-hmm. um and i think if you remember anything at all from the comics that's probably good enough to get you past like, you won't pick up on some of the particulars of some of the relationships i'm like who's that dude all right i guess he's important he seems like that yeah. person trusts him so he must be a trustworthy person right um otherwise it's more uh more just comic book fun yeah you know? well i watched, I, I watched i think you probably could just watch the crisis and, and more or less get what's going on yeah it, I it would have helped Girl, if you'd but... seen the previous crossover from last season yeah that would be helpful oh, like right, each yeah, of these crossovers has been helpful in defining um what's going on here yeah i watched i watched like the first season of flash and i watched a couple of maybe three seasons of supergirl but it got a little tiring and then um i watched i'm b- watching batwoman a little bit um i've got, a, I've got a, few, a few episodes behind on that so yeah i got tired of flash after like the first season and like i said never never got into arrow at all people and, get into the different stuff yeah um, i would say that the lex luther that they have here is um, one of the best. Who really. plays Lex like, Luthor in... Oh, I think here. He's the, the other guy, the guy who's not Charlie Sheen in Two and a Half Men. Oh, yes. John John Cryer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he plays... So, sounds about right. I like the guy he, who plays played... Brainy, Brainiac, but uh, not as yeah. menacing as a Brainiac I remember from the comic books. Well, did you see the um, Brainiac 5 from Legion of Superheroes? It takes place in the 30th century. <laughs> no. <laughs> so that's who he's based on. You're making on. shit up now. <laughs> I'm not making shit up. Like, this is legit. Brainiac 5 from Legion of Superheroes. <laughs> Brainiac original is the villain from Superman you're thinking of. Uh, I don't recall the relationship between Brainiac and Brainiac 5. Yeah, I just, I, I just remember Brainiac. From, I'm talking from the comic books where he would he would capture cities in these little glass domes and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's villain Brainiac. That's yeah. different than... Goofy Mork Brainiac. Descended Brainiac? I'm not sure. Yeah, the, the current Brainiac is a bit like Mork from Ork. You know, he's trying to fit into Supergirl's world. But speaking of weird, weird crossovers, uh, I saw a picture today of, uh, I think it was 
was there were five Doctor Who's in the room, and I think they had two other Doctor Who's on iPads, like doing FaceTime, uh, celebrate like having a Doctor Who tea. So David Tennant was there. You know, Matt Smith was there. Um, David Tennant's uh, father-in-law was there. He played uh, one of the Doctors in the original series, and a couple of other people. Kind of interesting thing. That's coming th- coming out soon. Oh, cr- January first, I think, is uh, Doctor Who's coming back on the air, right? Did you say uh, Jan first? January first, yeah. Okay, okay. New Year's Day. So we're uh, we're uh, hijacking this uh, podcast for to do a, a brief uh, spotcast, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I noticed that. <laughs> the people who complain about I just started randomly about talking that. about what I was watching. Mark was hoping we'd break into like pod rock, prog rock, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, if you ever watch Smallville, um, they have Clark Kent and Lois too. I think. Oh, Smallville, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That was um, yeah. It's like they said, okay, which which actors are vaguely still available from anything that's ever been shown superhero wise? Mm-hmm, cool, mm-hmm. let's get them. Let's shove them into an episode somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's a it's an it's one of those like how did they even make this sort of things? Because I know they don't have a ton of budget. Like it's very clear they spent more on on these uh, annual crossovers. Right. But still, it's like a big downgrade in budget when uh, like Supergirl went from CBS to CW. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe the Riverdale stuff. Get, you know, it's highly profitable. It's super cheap to shoot. Probably makes tons of bucks. Maybe they can reapportion it. Have you been watching Rick and Morty? I have been watching Rick and Morty. You have, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. I think they missed a week, but uh, maybe, yeah. It's interesting. How many episodes is there? Six or eight or ten or do you know? I figure what they normally have, it's around ten-ish, mm. I think. So we still have a few more to go this season. Yeah, they got a lot of meta then, comments in there, right? Like about, uh, what was he saying? He said something about the, this is like good enough for the finale, season finale. <laughs> the Rick and Morty is so weird with that he's like yeah maybe he'd do this it, 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 this, this is really good enough for the finale Rick Morty but it's good yeah. the, the whole style of, of how they, they do things is odd and, and I think they're signed up for like seven more seasons or something it, 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 they will die before they finish those seven seasons at the rate at which they make them hmm. so we'll, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening there yeah, I hope I hope um, this season of Doctor Who they end up doing uh, a little bit more character development for for some of the characters. Yeah, it's the first season, right? So, did you see on the, the New Yorker cartoon was um, uh, they had Idris Elba dressed up as Santa Claus, and the caption was, "You've been doing this for like centuries. Why don't you let Idris Elba have a turn?" <laughs> and I did not see that. <laughs> um, related, there is a new Bond movie coming out, and the trailer's out for that already. Mm-hmm. No Time to Die has oh, really? a, a trailer out there. Um, Wonder Woman 1984 has a trailer out there. Anywho, I guess we'll uh, follow the day. I can go off and watch some television before I go to bed. All right. All right. Till next week. Talk at you later. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.